Today is a special non-Thursday episode. We are celebrating St. Patrick's Day. And how much Jameson have you already consumed today, Cameron? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> do you actually have any Irish heritage in your family, or do you just pretend? Well, you know what? If, if you drink enough Irish things, does that not make you Irish? I mean, I guess it's running in your blood at that point, huh? Exactly. <laughs> well, according to my DNA test through Ancestry, I am 11% Irish, which is more than my mom told me as a kid. That's probably more than me as well, actually. (laughs) So today, whether you're Irish or not, we are celebrating Irish heritage by taking you on a journey from Ireland to Wisconsin. Or is it from Wisconsin to Ireland? Depends how you look at it. Depends. Anyway, we're going to Ireland somehow, some way. And to start, we're introducing you to the oldest pub in Ireland. It's, It's called Sean's Bar, and it dates all the way back to 900 AD. It's situated in the heart of Ireland between Dublin and Galway. And while I was in Ireland, if I remember correctly, they're also working to verify Sean's Bar as not just the oldest pub in Ireland, but they're they're claiming to be the oldest pub in the entire world, and they're working on literally verifying that. So I uh, I've been in the oldest bar in the world. Wow, that is that is a a cool fun fact. And Sean's Bar has been welcoming visitors from around the world for literally more than a thousand years, and it's located next to Athlone Castle on the banks of the beautiful River Shannon. Sean's Bar is crawling in history, and Cameron, as as you just mentioned, you've actually been to Sean's when you took a trip to Ireland for your 30th birthday. I sure have, and when you picture the oldest bar in the world, it's it's pretty accurate to whatever you got in your head right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about how you discovered Sean's and, and what your experience was like there. So when I, uh, I took a trip over to Ireland for my 30th birthday, it was a solo trip. I landed in Dublin, and then I rented a car to take a road trip around the entire country, learning how to drive on the opposite side of the car, the opposite side of the road, all at the same time on the most <laughs> narrow roads I've ever Just been on. Just dive right in. <laughs> so luckily, I found a bar while I was doing that. And uh, I, I had heard about Ireland having a very old pub. I went to Athlone and was walking around downtown Athlone, looking at the castle uh, along that walkway along the River Shannon. And all of a sudden, I saw the backside of Sean's Bar, and it's it's got a, a nice sign that says, you know, uh, founded in nine, 900 AD. So went in, and it was uh, it was a beautiful, old, welcoming bar, a relatively tiny space, but all wood. And it was just one of those, as soon as you walked in, you felt the history there. And just, it's one of those places that you just know the, like the, the, the moniker or the, uh, the saying, if these walls could talk, I can't imagine how many thousands and thousands of people from literally around the world have, have imbibed in some sort of a, a Guinness or a Jameson or whatever the case is while they were there. Yeah. It's hard to imagine something having been around since 900 AD. It, it just, it's, it's beyond my brain being able to fathom something like that (laughs) but now we have a a special treat for our listeners we actually connected with timmy a bartender at sean's bar he's been the bartender there for 40 years so even in 40 years of bartending i'm sure he's seen some really cool and exciting things so i think it's it's about time we hear from timmy and and learn more about sean's and hear some of his personal stories about how awesome of a place it is and how awesome of the people that he's met as a bartender i'm cameron and i'm jonathan and we we like like beer beer. some of the best stories start with beer but now it's time to make beer the story 
pour another round, and drink with us as we explore the stories behind your favorite beers and breweries. Hi, Timmy. Hello. Hi there. How are you doing, Timmy here? How are you doing today? Not a butter. Lovely to talk to you. So, Timmy, uh, hello and welcome to Pour Another Round, and we're, we're super excited to have you here on the show today. Delighted to be able to chat to you. Fantastic. Let us see you got some Sean's whiskey right in front of you. I am actually going to enjoy a glass of whiskey while I'm chatting to you. As you should, so are we. Brilliant. Where, where are you based? We are in Wisconsin in the U.S. We have not a huge, huge amount of visitors actually from Wisconsin. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, and Cameron's actually uh, been to Sean's as well. Very good. Was I there in the bar at the time? You were not. It was. Uh, it was not you. I'd, I'd recognize you if you were there. I, I, I chatted with the bartender for quite a quite a while over there. Oh, at least you 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 you'll know what I'm talking about then when I take a run through the history of the bar and everything associated with the bar. Exactly. So you've been at Sean's bar for quite a while as a bartender. Sean's is the oldest pub in Ireland, is that correct? And can you talk about some of the, the history of Sean's Bar? No problem at all, yeah. I've been in Sean's about 35 years. And basically, the history behind Sean's. The bar itself is the oldest bar anywhere in the world. Wow. It's well-documented dated, uh, dated by the National Museum and certified by the Guinness Book of World Records. And no other bar has been found to be older than Sean's anywhere in the world. It dates right back to 900 AD. And that's, that's our official Guinness Book of World Record dating on Sean's. Town of Athlone itself, if you take a map of Ireland, stick a pin dead in the middle of, of the map of Ireland, and you have Athlone. And this is where you will find Sean's. The town itself is situated on the banks of the River Shannon and Loch Ree, right beside us. How the town got its name? Lewin was the very first person who built the bar, right back in 900 AD. And it was built as a crossing point between east and west, basically. And in Irish, later a settlement built up around the, around the pub in the settlement. And in 1129, King Turlock O'Connor built the first wooden castle to guard that settlement. That settlement then became known in Irish as Aha Lewin, meaning the Ford of Lewin or the Place of Lewin. And that's how the town got its name, from the very first person that built the bar right back in 900 AD. Now, the first thing you will notice when you walk in the door of Sean's is a slope on the floor. The reason for the slope on the floor, it was the original drainage system, where the water would flow in the front door, flow out the back door, and into the River Shannon. And it's still working. I'm sure that adds a little bit of challenge for uh, people after a few pints, uh, walking on a slopey floor. It it seems perfectly straight after a few pints. (laughs) (laughs) and <laughs> <laughs> uh, also you will notice uh, part of the old walls are still on display at Sean's they're in a cabinet on the right hand side as you walk down and the old walls are what the whole premises are still made from it's the same original building built back in 900 made from what's called wattle and wicker which is interwoven hazel sticks held together with horsehair and clay and that's what the whole place's premises is made from so who, who was Sean? Sean, it became known as Sean's in 1955 when a man called Sean O'Brien bought the bar and called it Sean's. He was a cattle dealer by trade. And then in 1970, he sold the bar to another Sean, a man from Dublin called Sean Fitzsimons, who kept a barge right at the back door of the pub. 
and he used to come down at the weekends with his friends and then go off on Lock and come back and have a few drinks in the pub. And they came, they came back one weekend and they were having a few drinks there. And one of Sean's friends said to him, Sean, you should buy the bar. She wouldn't have to change the name on it or anything. <laughs> he, stood, he stood up there and then and bought it. That was back in 70. So it's been known as Sean's since 1955, really. Is there any documentation back to 900 AD? What was it originally called? It was originally called Lewin's Inn. And it would, now, something we'll talk about later on, uh, down the river from us is a very famous monastery called Clamac Noise. And there are various references in the annual, um, Clamac Noise itself dates back to 549. And there are various references to the crossing point and the pub in the annals or history of Clamac Noise also. Then there was all coins that were found where the publicans basically minted these, their own coins for barter or exchange with their customers. These coins also helped date the pub. So there's a lot of, lot of history there regarding the dating of the pub back to 980. And so, Timmy, you've been, you said, uh, been at Sean's Bar for 35 years now. What's kept you around so long? <laughs> I'd have got less for murder and I'd be out now. And <laughs> 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 uh, the thing about Sean, it's not like, it's not like a job. It's a whole experience. It's good fun. You don't know who's going to come through the door, who you're going to meet next, who you're going to chat and talk to. And as I say, it's all, it's a lovely atmosphere. And basically it's, it, as I say, it's not like a job. It's something I really, really like. Other than that, I wouldn't have stuck around. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm sure uh, you get plenty of visitors in there and you, you're literally talking to people from all over the world all the time. You certainly would be. You, and as I say, you don't know who you're going to be talking to. And everybody is treated the same. So, and it's always been a fun a bit of chat. We'll sit down, we'll take a run through the history of the bar. We'll take a run through the history and origins of whiskey with, with all our groups. That's what I love doing is meeting all the groups and having a chat basically about the whole history behind everything. Do you have, do any fun stories come to mind of people that you've met at Sean's or notable figures that have come through the doors? Plenty of stories, but a lot of them we can't repeat. <laughs> oh yeah as i say you don't know who's going to come to the door from possibly every musician in the country has played in sean's at some stage or another or come to sean's even right down to members of you two sitting in the corner and i didn't recognize them. <laughs> yeah you've got you have a lot of meet a huge amount of film stars and everything particularly from america there's lots and lots you meet lots and lots of people and as i say everybody's treated evenly and they can relax and have a have a drink without being bothered or passing or anything. That's the one thing about Sean's. Very cool. Well, when I was it, in Ireland a couple years ago, I, I uh, obviously, as I mentioned, stopped at Sean's. So I picked up two bottles of, of Sean's Irish whiskey. This is the uh, special specialty blended Luane edition. So it looks like the same bottle you have right there. Yeah, it is. It is. It's exactly the same bottle. Do you want to talk about your, your whiskey here? How our whiskey came about. Uh, as I say, I meet all the different groups, the different tours. We're chatting to everybody about the whole history of the bar. One question I was always and still am asked is, what did you drink back in those days? What did the drinker in around 900? So I began to research to see exactly what did the drink. Now, I am not Google, so it is very much meeting lo with local historians, going to lectures on the islands, the people that live there, the history behind each area, and reading books. And that is how we kept, it's a huge, huge history 
and in particular of whiskey, all beginning on Loch Ree here, right beside us. Now, Loch Ree is a huge lake. It's 19 miles long by 8 miles wide. Then it funnels into the River Shannon here at Lone. Distilling itself began in the Middle East, where, where they actually distilled perfumes and aromas. Traders from northern Spain had trade routes with the Middle East at the time. They brought back the art of distilling these perfumes and aromas to northern Spain. The Irish monks happened to be there in their missions at the time and somehow managed to take what was the distillation of a perfume and turn it into an alcoholic drink or whiskey as we know it now. The two main monasteries of the whole country were situated here right beside us on Loch Ree. The very first monastery right in the centre of Loch Ree on the island of Inish Ciaran. Ciaran left the island in 549 and went downriver from us to form his second monastery, Clonmacnoise which would not become a hugely famous monastery. It was actually, basically, it was early learning basically began here in that monastery. But, and it had lots of records and all, so that's how we know what happened. But uh, it was amongst these monasteries that took that drink, or, or took that perfume and turned it into an alcoholic beverage. How it, it became their main form of trade. And they traded massively with this spirit. So much so that it, it travelled from Lockery right around the world. Now, I spent 11 years of research into this. It was, they actually traded huge, hugely with the, the Vikings. Now, there was a huge, massive Viking settlement here on Lockery. The Vikings, in turn, brought the art of distilling with them from Lockery back to the Scandinavian countries. And as we know, the Vikings loved their alcohol. <laughs> they, in turn, brought it from Iceland onto Greenland and onto Newfoundland where they landed at Lansaw Meadows. Basically then it made its way down to Canada and eventually down to the States. And this is how whiskey got from Loch Ree to Canada and the States. The Irish monks from Inish Ciaran and Clement Noise also went on their missions to Scotland. Now here's a very interesting one. They went on their missions to Scotland, beginning with the island of Iona, where they wrote what would become a very famous book called the Book of Kells. But they went from Inish, uh, Inish uh, Iona to mainland Scotland, bringing the art of distilling with them. And this is how Scottish whisky began, coming directly from the monks from Inish Ciaran here in, in Athlone. And we have great fun telling this to our Scottish friends. <laughs> Whole holiday ruled there and then, when the fact that the Irish were actually the very first people to distill whisky in the world. Well, and isn't there isn't there uh, something in the aging of the distillation process of Irish whiskey so that you know that it's slightly better than Scottish no matter what? Isn't there? What's what's that all about? There is. Yeah, that's a very funny story. <laughs> Scottish whiskey uh, matures for three years. Irish whiskey matures for three years and one day. One day better. Just to get it older to the Scots. Yeah. <laughs> That's where that comes from. How you just distinguish an Irish whiskey from a Scottish whiskey, looking at it loaded them on a shelf. Scottish whiskey is W-H-I-S-K-Y. And the Irish spell it correctly, W-H-I-S-K-E-Y. Absolutely. We, we, we spell it with an E-Y over here as well, so yeah. we're, on, we're on the Irish side. Yeah. The actual name whiskey comes from Lat Ree here as well, right beside us, where you had the, the monks from Inish Kiran spoke Irish. The monks from Clement Noise spoke Latin because they taught in Latin. They called it aqua vitae, meaning the water of life. The monks from Inish Kiran spoke Irish. They called the spirit Ishkabata, also meaning the water of life. 
Now, if you will even find out in Scandinavian countries, they call it Aqua V, same thing. So it was the Vikings that actually took it back there. There was a huge, the English armies of King Henry II and King Henry III were based here on Lochree at a place called Rindoon. It's actually just down the road from where I live here. Now, at the time, Rindoon was the biggest city outside of London. That attended the vast size of the armies that they had based here. It was absolutely huge. The monks cashed in on this big time, traded hugely with these English armies. But the English armies had only one problem, pronouncing Ishgabaha. <laughs> So they went on to call it Ishgabaha, and eventually, if it turned, especially after having a few of them, it just went all over the place. So Ishgabaha began whiskey and onto whiskey. And that's where the name whiskey comes from, right here, right beside us on Lockery also. So you have the whole origins of whiskey, how it began, when it began, who it began by, how it travelled right around the world, and who took it there and when. It's a hugely, hugely interesting piece of history. Well, we appreciate you spreading whiskey around the world for us. <laughs> now, we, we have great fun with it. We love going with it, and we've oh, found, gone, gone into all sorts of history on whiskey, putching, which would be mo- basically moonshine. I'd be touching on all of that as well. Basically, putching and moonshine are exactly they're, they're, they're the same thing. Even to taste, they're the same. The good old monks. <laughs> yeah, well, and you, you you brought up uh, the Columbic Noise, and it, that's that's now a very uh, tourist attraction, isn't it? With all the, like the the ruins of some of those old buildings that were over there, and uh, it's it's a really cool place to go walk around and see some of that that Irish history from the monastery. It, there is a huge huge history behind Columbic Noise, which I won't even get into, or we'll be here for a week. <laughs> <laughs> It's a fantastic place to go to. It's just re- really, really, really is fantastic. You have your round towers, uh, your your old churches, your monasteries. It, it's a huge history. Even Pope John Paul, when he came to visit Ireland, this was one of the first places he went to see. That's how important it is, actually, Clamac Noise. It's, it really is a, a fantastic place, which would be a must on anybody's bucket list to visit in Ireland. So, Timmy, how has Sean's changed or stayed the same over the at least the the course of the years that you've been with sean's basically it hasn't really changed much since 900 ad it's the original building built back in 900 but then we make our way out to the rear of the pub and we're we're because of covid now we're after doing a lot of a lot of renovations outside the back to to create far more space so people people can interact and everything so and then we go straight onto the River Shannon. So it's basically the same original building, but we've done a lot, lot of work out the back. Well, and, and something else that, that probably hasn't changed, uh, you as a bartender have probably poured your fair share of Guinness, I would imagine. <laughs> you have one of them. Can you uh, walk us through, what is the proper way to pour one of those Guinnesses in that bar that hasn't changed through the pouring process that has not changed either? Uh, well, basically, it's about time. You just you just take your time with a pint. You would fill it three-quarter way, tilt the glass, fill it three-quarter way up, and then let it settle for just under two minutes. You don't just get a pint, fill it up, throw it out. No. <laughs> you take your time, you let it settle, and then you slowly increase the head on it and fill it up. And then you leave it for another minute or so to completely settle, and then you hand it out. That's the correct way. And it takes a it takes a lot of time to pour it, and then you should also enjoy it as well with that the craftsmanship of that all. Well, I'm looking forward to whenever we do get back to it, actually enjoying a couple of pints to be <laughs> Yeah, and and Sean's bar has actually been closed for 
one year now, thanks to COVID. And so we, we really sincerely hope that you guys are able to open back up soon. What what have you been up to during the shutdown? As I say, we've been doing a lot of work out the back and painting, doing a lot of research. Um, huge amount of research, actually, I've been doing on whiskey, uh, which will be put into book form now very shortly. So you're writing a book about it? Awesome. Is there uh, is there a, an anticipated completion of that book? Uh, not too far away. Yeah, we're getting there. But there's a second part of it where, like, there's all the old stories and everything. It opened up a whole different avenue for us uh, where you go down the stories about the putching, you're putting moonshine, basically, how we're at one stage we were governed by the English and they decided to tax. See, the Irish like their alcohol. <laughs> uh, years ago, you were actually paid in alcohol. You were paid with beer, basically, um, because it was actually healthier to drink than the water at the time. For example, a stonemason would have an allowance of 14 pints a day. Great fun being a stonemason. <laughs> the person in the army had an allowance of eight pints a day. There's all these old stories and things. But if you go down the putching route then, the, the English decided to, to put a tax on all the alcohol we were drinking to create revenue for, for the English government. So that actually split whiskey right down the middle where half of the, you had to get, a, a, you, you went legal, you had to get a license and you were, there was loads of rules and everything. Half of them went that way. Half of them went down the illegal route, the putching route. And this actually created, this, this really created putching. But there's all sorts of old stories about putching and the putching makers. And a lot of it was done in Connacht or Western Ireland, where the lands were very, very bad and where people were driven from their homes here in the Midlands by Cromwell, and they had to go and basically live in very, very poor, harsh land, couldn't really farm it, and putching became their their main form of trade, basically, and that's how they survived. But uh, then you had the English then, were basically, it was illegal, and they tried to track down all these old stills and everything, uh, where, now, the Irish at the time, they used small pot stills, which they could grab, run, get out of there in a hurry and keep still with them. But the English actually then started to find a whole community if there was a still found in the area. But And if you handed in a still or reported a still site, you were given a large quantity of money. But the Irish copped onto this. And when the still was burnt out or worn out, they used to take it to a totally different area completely as to where their own still site was, bring out the, the, the English and the police, and said they were after discovering a still. They had paid a huge amount of money. They bought everything they wanted to make a brand new still and still had a large quantity of money left over. <laughs> the English never popped this whatsoever. That was a that was absolutely brilliant. We don't smart them. Have you, have you ever heard the term blind drunk? I have. Grand. Well, this is where it comes from. It comes from the putching makers. Okay where sometimes they tried to get more out of the run and they didn't throw the heads out. The heads are the very first run of pure alcohol. And sometimes when people drank that pure alcohol, uh, they went blind or partially blind. And that's where the term blind drunk comes from, <laughs> comes from the putting makers. There was another, the English at the time introduced another act, which was called the Tipping Act, where overnight the English government Made, decided to make it illegal for publicans or innkeepers to demand payment of bar tabs because they thought if 
that were being made pay for bar tabs, the Irish would steal from the English gentry who they work, work for. So they introduced this law, the tipping law, where I could go in, we could all go into the pub, run up a big bar tab and say, no, it's illegal for you to demand payment. It overnight, overnight it created a drinking frenzy. Nobody went to work <laughs> at all. <laughs> and they very quickly had to reverse that law. But that's just some of the silly little laws and stories and things we found along the way. Like, so that's what's been keeping me busy now. Well, I'm, I'm excited for that book. To come. Is that going to be available just in the bar or is it going to be available to purchase online anywhere? Oh, no, we'll be online, we'll be Amazon, we'll be everywhere. Awesome. I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to follow that and make sure to, to get a copy of that when it comes out. Well, as I said, it's something that's keep me, keeping me very busy anyway and something I enjoy doing. For sure. Yeah. And I'm, you had to drink some whiskey while you were writing it and researching it as well. <laughs> yeah, then you can't read the writing the following morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, Timmy, we hear you're celebrating a birthday this weekend as well. So cheers to you and thanks for uh, spending a part of your birthday weekend with us. Thank you very much. And cheers. Yeah, birthday's actually tomorrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Happy birthday to you. And so, you know, St. Patrick's Day is also coming up right around the corner. And what does what does St. Patrick's Day typically look like in, in Ireland as well as at Sean's Bar? Well, before all this happened, it's a lovely day. It's a huge family day out where like all the families come back and come into town. There's parades, there's everything and anything, music everywhere, all going on. And like there's been music in Sean's all day long. It's actually my, my first introduction to a traditional Irish music session was when I was brought into Sean's many, many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first introduction to an Irish music session. And it's that way even to this day with a lot of kids. When they, but then like come six, seven o'clock, all the kids have gone home. And basically the music continues all day long. It's a lovely, lovely day. And it's a hugely busy day. Great. I think uh, here in the States, it's it's probably a, a big excuse for us to to drink all day long. <laughs> oh, well, from the evening time on anyway. Yeah, that, that's certainly yeah, that's right. right. And whether you're Irish or not, it's uh, there's, there's all sorts of celebrations going on here, too. Are there any uh, are there any traditional Irish special like cheers or toasts for for St. Patrick's Day that, that is common? Just slancha, which means what? Good luck, slancha, slancha. <laughs> oh, but uh, do you have a bottle of Clamac Noise there as well? We do. Yeah. Would yeah. you like to talk anything specific about this Clamac Noise whiskey? Clamac or Clamac Noise is a single malt whiskey, and it is aged for seven years, as opposed to three years and one day. If you're a single malt drinker, you will love it. If you like a smoother whiskey, it's our original Sean Sean's whiskey. But the Clamac Noise for a, for a single malt drinker, they go mad for it. Yeah, it's it's very good. It's definitely got a, a little bit more a little more of a punch to it than the It has indeed. This one is a very smooth, smooth whiskey. Thanks, Timmy, for, for your time today. And and we really appreciate you uh telling your stories about your whiskey and your bar and and uh talking to us all the way from Ireland. We very much appreciate it. Yeah, it's been awesome talking to you. Right. Yes, it is. Yep. Yeah. Well, Timmy, thank you so much again. And it's been a pleasure meeting you and talking to you. And hopefully uh, things will get back to get get back opened up here shortly for you guys. And um, we definitely look forward to getting back to Ireland at some point, too. We've both both been over there. And um, like we said, Cameron's been to Sean's bar and uh, looking forward to getting back for sure. Well, when when you do come come back to to Ireland, uh, stay in contact and we will take you to Lockery and we will take you to the 
islands of Inish Kiran, like the original, you talk about Klamath Noise, yeah, but uh, very few people actually get to even see Inish Kiran or Rindun, these places. They can only be accessed by river. Okay. So we will gladly take you there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Timmy. And yeah, we, we look forward to, to meeting you in person here at some point. Cheers. Slantia. Thank you very much. Stay safe. You as well. We'll see you. Bye. Lovely to meet you, lads. And hopefully we'll see you in person at some stage in the future. Bye now. Cameron, you and I have both spent some time in Ireland. Me on my honeymoon in 2014 and you for your 30th birthday in 2019. That's right. So let's spend some time talking about these trips. I absolutely loved visiting Ireland. It's kind of what you expect in a way. A beautiful countryside, generous, welcoming people, and a really down-to-earth and relaxing vibe. On my and my wife Amy's trip, we did an eight-day bus tour through Southern Ireland, which there's definitely some uh, some interesting experiences being on a bus tour. Um, but that uh, that went through Southern Ireland, starting in Dublin, and taking us over to the Ring of Kerry, up to the Cliffs of Maher. Apparently, that's how you say it. I I, I think we should make a a claim here that we are. Jonathan says he's eleven percent Irish, but we are not <laughs> Irish, so we're just make, making up these Irish words really as we hard go. To make sure we're pronouncing things correctly. It, it might be mohair, it might be more, it, but but Google tells us it's maher with an Irish accent, which we do not have. Right, right. So up to the cliffs and Galway, and circling back then to Dublin. Uh, I also, as I just mentioned, started in Dublin. I love Dublin. Uh, one of my favorite U.S. cities is Nashville, where you, you get there and it's bar after bar of live music, no cover anywhere, and every bar you go to has better music than the last. And that's very similar to what Dublin is. So the, the nightlife there is very Irish music-esque. I, I love Irish music and, and seeing it live in Ireland was really a dream come true. While I was there, I also enjoyed plenty of guinness plenty of jameson no way. You, you i'm sure you're surprised by that and i and i got to tour both of those places as well and, and they were both fascinating yeah tell tell us about your um the the tour so both the guinness brewery is in dublin their original location right is in dublin mm-hmm. and then um, jameson is also in dublin so tell us a little bit more about experiencing those you know really well known brands well in ireland uh, what I remember when I went to the Guinness Brewery is as soon as you kind of walk down, you turn the corner to go into the almost like a, a side street to walk into the, the Guinness Brewery. And the first thing I remember seeing are these giant black gate. Uh, it's It's got a giant Guinness logo on it. And it says the St. James Gate Brewery Dublin with the, you know, that, that the traditional Guinness harp right on there. And so as you're walking down this side street, tall buildings on either side of you, and it, it almost looks like I, I attributed it while I was there to kind of like seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel and Guinness was just shining down. It's almost like, like there was an angelic sunbeam down on Guinness Brewery, uh, which I would imagine is how most people think Guinness is. But they, they also say that Guinness is, it tastes better in Ireland. And I, and I would definitely agree with that. Be- being in the location that Guinness has been brewed in for hundreds of years is really just something that if you stop and appreciate exactly where you are in the history that's there, it was one of the best feelings I've ever had 
in a physical location. I was told while we were in Ireland that the U.S. gets like the garbage Guinness. I don't know whether that's true or if that was just the opinion of the the person serving us our Guinness, but they assured us that the Guinness would be better there Uh, in Ireland. I heard a, a, a legitimate theory on why that is. So in Ireland, every bar that pours Guinness in Ireland is getting it from the brewery, directly from the brewery. Ireland is a relatively small country. I drove across it in a few hours. I spent over a week there, but literally to get across it is a few hours. So when those delivery trucks are are loaded with Guinness and they go out to whatever bar they're trying to get to, it is a matter of hours before it can be on that tap fresh from Guinness. Apparently, Guinness in Ireland is, is a lot farther away from the United States than and those bars in Ireland, yeah. so it it takes a little bit longer for that that beer directly from the Guinness Brewery in Ireland to get over to the states, which fresh beer always tastes better. So I think that was more of a legitimate theory that I had heard while I was over there. And so then you you moved on to Jameson, and you, as we've talked multiple times on Pour Another Round, are a big fan of Jameson. So I imagine you were in uh, in heaven uh, visiting the Jameson Distillery. It it was that was the uh, the distillery that was in Dublin. That tour of the Jameson Distillery in Dublin was very multimedia and virtual. Before we're living in a virtual world right now, <laughs> this was a virtual tour. Virtual tour before virtual tours were. I don't even know if they're cool anymore, but you know before they were normal. Yeah, and I. I wanted to see the actual space where Jameson has been distilled for for many, many years. And it was cool to be there, but I wanted a little bit more out of that tour. What I actually ended up being able to do is I added a a bonus feature onto my tour. And I had a special Jameson tasting in the basement of the distillery, which was John Jameson's original office. Wow! So being in that location to, to drink... A variety of different Jamesons in the in the room that the the brains behind behind the entire operation started hundreds of years ago was something that was really a surreal moment to to drink Jameson that I've enjoyed for a very long time and then just relish in that moment of of sipping on this this whiskey in John Jameson's own office. That's fascinating. And there's actually two Jameson distillery locations, correct? One in Dublin and then the other one in County Cork. Did you make it to that other location too? I did, and that is—I believe—that's considered the Middleton Distillery in in County Cork, and that one had a lot more of that hands-on, seeing the old aspects of the distillery. That one I appreciated so much more. So, if anyone's going to Ireland in the future, the Jameson Distillery in Dublin is cool, but I would urge you to absolutely take the the couple-hour trip over to to Middleton and go there. The buildings are all really old. They're very beautiful. And that's where you're walking through the actual distilling grounds that, that's just full of history. It has an old, I don't even know what it's called. It's a, a one of those water wheels that made energy. There's there's probably a word for it. They don't exist anymore because we have electricity. But pre-electricity... I mean, the, like the boats that have them are called paddle wheel boats, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, but this is a distillery that used energy from this this water wheel that and that that helped turn some of the equipment inside of the distillery to manually make make this whiskey and and the the process about it so you're actually walking next to those historical artifacts and and that's where jameson is distilled now 
Yeah, and you're right. That location is beautiful. The the red windows against that light brick um, in the you know in out out in county in Middleton and County Cork is is just a really beautiful location. We didn't stop and go to the distillery when we were there, but we did drive by on our way to Blarney Castle and the Blarney Stone. So they dangled the distillery in front of us and then didn't uh, have us tour it. But um, and and also we did not kiss the Blarney Stone when we went to nearby Blarney. Pre-COVID even, do you know what a thrill it is to put your mouth on the same place that millions of other people's mouths that have been is on? why I did not do it. <laughs> it was it was exhilarating. Uh, yeah, we we um, <laughs> stood from afar and blew kisses at it. Um, we did not stand in line to kiss a dirty stone. <laughs> I, I even gave the tongue, oh. or the, the wall a little tongue. Great. <laughs> well, we were, whether, again, whether this is true or not, we're uh, told or had heard rumors that uh, perhaps locals uh, might might pee on the stone. You know what? It was worth <laughs> it. So, um, yeah, the, you know, as you kind of move move um, further west, I guess it would be in Ireland, there's there's a lot of castles that we got to see. I just mentioned Blarney Castle, the um, Bunratty Castle. Again, it, not 100% sure I'm saying that correctly, but Bun, Bunratty Castle and King John's Castle. Castle Ross was a really beautiful one that we saw. Um, King John's Castle is is beautiful as well. And then Cameron, you also kind of did, if I'm remembering correctly, did kind of drove kind of the southern part of Ireland and then up to like the Ring of Kerry, Cliffs of Moher. Maher. Dang it. <laughs> Cliffs of Maher. <laughs> Tell us about about some of those uh, scenic spots that you saw. Yeah, so from Dublin, I headed directly straight west, and I stopped in a little town that had the Kilbegan distillery in it, and that is the oldest licensed Irish distillery. It was it was a small town. I ate in a, in a super small cafe breakfast right before I went to the distillery, and that is another one of those old historic buildings from hundreds of years ago that is still distilling in the same operations that that they had or at least in the physical space that they had they've obviously upgraded some of their equipment but it's it's in those giant concrete buildings with the the old wooden floors and it's very nostalgic if i don't even know if nostalgic can go back hundreds of years <laughs> but that's that's what it feels like is they're they're so proud of their tradition over there so when you're standing in these buildings that Irish whiskey really started in hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and they're still proud of the location that they're in right now. Is it's really cool to to see them tell their own story and just be proud of their heritage and and how they got to where they are today. Very cool. And then yeah, and then from from Kilbegan, I I made it over also to the Cliffs of Maher. Maher. See, we I know really I'm not even to say Maher correctly <laughs> and still have messed it up. Uh, but I, yeah, a lot of people will just go to that the visitor center, which is centrally located. It's I think I think the cliffs are about a twelve mile hiking trail, and trail is loosely used in many of the many of the times because I started in the the town of Doolin, which is on the northern tip of of the cliffs, and I ended in in a in a small town called Liscanor, which is just over twelve miles along the cliffs south, and. Every time I turned a corner, the cliffs had a more beautiful view than than the previous corner. So it was, uh, I would I would recommend if you are adventurous at all to start at one end and walk the entire way. It's, it was beautiful. Well, we did not walk that entire ways, but we did see a we did see many of the sea cliffs. 
when we were there and, and visited the went to the visitor center, which is kind of built into the landscape too to really minimize the visual impact against the countryside. But those those sea cliffs, they're they're in the County Clare region of Ireland and they really are an amazing amazing experience with these these rock formations that kind of jet out over the water and it is really surreal and picturesque and it's just you know it's it's a photographer's dream but it's it's also even if you're not a photographer i mean snap some photos with your with your iphone <laughs> they uh they, it's a really beautiful and scenic spot we also mentioned the the ring of Kerry, which is you know if you're you're going kind of the southern route of um, along the coast of Ireland and up toward the cliffs of Maher. Um, the Ring of Kerry is another um, really scenic coastal drive, and um, that's in southwest Ireland's County Kerry. And these mountains, valleys, lakes, and sea all really blend together, again, for a really, really um, beautiful and picturesque um, landscape. I also hiked at, this is this is another one of those Irish words, <laughs> Crow, Crow Patrick. It is, it is the mountain that St. Patrick hiked up and and did his his pilgrimage at uh, while he was sort of in a little bit of a, of a transitionary period in his life, and a lot of religious excursions will also take this pilgrimage, starting at at the base of of Crowpatrick and hiking up it. It it, it wasn't, a, it's not a high mountain by any means, but the trail is relatively vertical. It is not a nice winding trail around it. And I went there in August, right before my birthday, and it was cool there. It was by no means a nice summer day. People, especially when they're on these pilgrimages, they will walk up it barefooted, just like St. Patrick would have. Uh, as I was walking up it, it was it was cool, it was windy, it was sunny out though. And a lot of the, the warnings that I read about it is that weather can just change in in a matter of seconds. And at one moment it's beautiful it's sunny it's it's chilly and crisp but but overall beautiful and then all of a sudden it just turns black and then it starts hailing and these people are walking up barefooted and there's nowhere to to really hide it's you're just in the elements and it adds to the the difficulty of the vertical ascent but i made it there's a tiny little church up there i can't imagine carrying these the the resources and the materials needed to build anything straight up there but uh there's there's a really cool church up there and and people obviously go up there and, and take pictures. They're proud of, of their climb. I met an elderly gentleman who asked me to take his picture. He had forgotten his cell phone in his car, so he asked me to take a picture on my phone. He gave me his Irish number, asked me if, if or he asked me if there was a way that I could get it to him. I said, yep, there's, there's technology out there now. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> I didn't have any service up there. I didn't even get his name. I just had his number. Once I got back down to a town, I tried texting it to him, and it, and it kept kicking back as an error. My U.S. number could not text his Irish number the way that he had given it to me, so I was I was doing everything I could to get it to him. When I got back home to the United States, I posted his, this picture that I had of him on a bunch of, of tourism sites and, and Crowpatrick fan sites and different things like that to get him this picture. While we were up on the mountain, he was telling me that he was so proud of the fact that he climbed it. He was maybe in his late 70s. He had just overcome cancer. His son had tried to climb it the year before and could not make it. And so he just wanted some bragging rights. So I felt like it was my duty to get him this picture so that this guy could brag to his his son that his his old man made it to the top. I, I, I was following the, the posts for a while and 
in a, in a relatively small way, the pictures went viral across Ireland. And his daughter reached out to me. She was going to school on the, the United States Eastern Coast. I forget where she was. And his neighbor reached out to me and said, I know this guy. He's my neighbor. And then his wife finally reached out to me and said, I, f- I forget what his name is now off the top of my head, but she assured me that he got the picture and, and shared it with his son. And it was a very proud father moment. So I'm, I'm glad that I could get that over to him. Yeah, that was, that was really cool. So uh, that's wonderful. That yeah, that's that was, a great end to that, that story. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, so the, the Cliffs of Maher have actually been seen in movies like The Princess Bride and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Are you about to nerd out on Harry uh, Potter? Um, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Uh, when Dumbledore and Harry are hunting Horcruxes in Half-Blood Prince, they apparate to the edge of some sea cliffs. And these are, fun fact, the Cliffs of Maher. Another fun fact, Jonathan was wearing a Harry Potter sweatshirt this morning. I was, yes. <laughs> mild, mild uh, Potterhead. <laughs> and we played Harry Potter trivia last night. <laughs> we did. <laughs> and you were a part of that. So... Great. Well, you know, I have a, a few other highlights from, from my trip to, to mention, but anything else um, that you want to talk about, Cameron, before um, getting back to, because um, you ended your trip in Dublin as well, right? You started mm-hmm. and ended your trip in Dublin. So we're, yeah, we're about halfway through Ireland right now. We haven't poured around yet. Oh, yeah, we should do that. Should we take a quick shot of Jameson? This is a special St. Patrick's Day uh, episode, and I'm sure you haven't had your, your fill of Jameson yet today. Never. <laughs> Here at Pour Another Round, we are all about the stories behind everything we're drinking. And and one of my personal favorite stories about Jameson, they talk about it a lot at the distillery. There's a Latin phrase on the bottle, uh, in the, the, the crest of, of the Jameson bottle. It's sine metu, which means without fear. And they they, they talk about the, the pride that John Jameson had in his in his whiskey and the triple distilling of Irish whiskey and how they they do that whole process. It, it it takes a lot more time, and he he was without fear, and and they just really took this whole process, made it his own. And there's a whole bunch of myths about John Jameson. One time, a a barrel of his whiskey fell off a ship of his, and he dove into the ocean after it to to save his beloved whiskey. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely John Jameson has now become larger than life, and the Cine Metu really transcends john jameson and now is is what all of jameson stands for and i think without fear we should here let's take the slancha cheers now it feels like a saint patrick's day episode there we go you know as as you kind of make your way back toward dublin in ireland there you know there's there's a lot of really awesome towns too that that kind of sprinkle the countryside as well it you know i mentioned that ireland is a bit of of what you expect with the rolling hills and the the beautiful countryside and you know farms kind of speckling but they're the towns are just as cozy and adorable and charming and it and you know ireland kind of has a you know we're from from wisconsin here it has a a little bit of a Midwest charm to it as well. And and the weather certainly um, is very Midwestern <laughs> in that it can change on a dime. Uh, we went in November and so it was, it was quite rainy and chilly, but it, some days were really bright and sunny and then it would start raining, you know, in the matter, in a matter of seconds. But um, there's a lot of really cool towns along the way too that, that really stand out. You know, I, I really like spending time in Limerick and Galway and, and Killarney all have just fun, you know, restaurants and pubs and, um, and just a small town charm to them. 
And I, I mentioned my my love for Irish music, and that was one of my favorite things about Dublin. But every one of those small towns I stopped in around the entire country, there was live music in, in almost every place I ever went. And the best and most memorable music that I listened to while I was over there, it wasn't the the bigger, well-produced bands. Most of the time, it was just the town drunk who showed up with his, <laughs> his guitar, and they gave him a microphone, and he just played everything he did, jammed out so passionately, and was just rocking out. And, and I think those were some of the most, most memorable things about that trip, and it does have that Midwestern hospitality. Everyone could not have been nicer over there there's this bad reputation of you know the notre dame fighting irish so they they kind of have that preconceived notion of of a little being a little bit edgy maybe and it is that could not have been farther from the truth uh with my experience over there yeah exactly um waterford was another place that we visited when in ireland and so this is home to waterford crystal and we had had this tour kind of early on in our trip and i just want to talk briefly about it but it you know many have probably heard of heard or seen heard of or seen waterford crystal works of art and the company's origins actually date back to the 1700s they you know they have chandeliers hanging in places like windsor castle and the kennedy center in washington dc they're actually the ones that create the new year's eve ball that drops in times square each year and this tour was just simply amazing watching the craftsmanship of designing, molding, blowing the crystal masterpieces, and that handiwork that's ultimately done to cut, sculpt, and, and engrave those those designs is just a fascinating process. And you're watching them blow that glass and cut that glass literally feet in front of you. Yeah. There's no barrier. No. You, are, you are right there while they're yes, doing that. Yes, it, it was a very up-close-and-personal tour, which was just, just really cool and you know, watching, watching the talents at work right there, um, crafting things that I was not going to be able to afford to take home. <laughs> did you take anything home? We did not purchase anything. We were newlyweds at the time, so we had no. That sounds no like the perfect opportunity money. to buy to buy your new bride a beautiful piece of jewelry. <laughs> yeah, no. She, <laughs> buy her bo- buy her a bottle of Jameson, and she'll be happy. Go. We actually we met um, we met a cup uh, an, another couple that was also on their honeymoon on this Ireland bus trip and they were a couple from Australia and they got married the day before us and they, we, we actually still keep in touch with them, um, Jennifer and Mark Lou and they, she, Jennifer, Jen, um, was very much a Jameson fan. So she kind of pushed us probably to drink, <laughs> drink more Jameson <laughs> than maybe we would have just on our Good own. For her. But she, yeah, she loved Jameson and she just drank you know, a glass of Jameson every everywhere we went went so every bar i went to i ordered a pint of guinness with a shot of jameson on the side i did try um which i didn't i don't know that i really realized existed before visiting ireland was a guinness blonde i don't think i had heard of that before actually going there and so i you know of course tried it because it was a guinness product and went in ireland right so and it, it 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 was good but i and i probably wasn't much of a Guinness fan before visiting Ireland either. And, and now I, I enjoy, I enjoy my Guinness too. Back to, back to what I started at the beginning of this conversation. If you drink enough of things, you become Irish and then you just have to like <laughs> it just them. just runs right through your veins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Cameron, are there other, you know, experiences or, or, or things that we haven't talked about in, on your trip to Ireland that really stick out as your ultimate favorites? Um, you know, I personally cannot wait to get back to Ireland at some point. It's, it's such a fun place to visit and have we we kind of went from Dublin down the southern 
coast of coast ish, I guess, of Ireland to over to the Ring of Kerry, um, Cliffs of Maher, Galway, and then back to Dublin. But that you know doesn't even hardly touch the majority of the country. Uh, I I also went to the Waterford Crystal Distillery. That was my last stop before going back to Dublin. The, you said Waterford Crystal Distillery. <laughs> Is the, is there a Waterford Crystal Distillery or was Freudian a- <laughs> slip? I just wanted to go to there, all the distilleries. All right. <laughs> I also went to the Waterford Crystal Museum, I believe is what it's called, and and uh, where they where they obviously make the stuff. I was eating lunch there, and I had heard of this Irish whiskey called Writer's Tears. Waterford to Dublin was about a two hour drive, so I was looking for things to do about halfway that I could. I was I was by myself, so I I really could do whatever I wanted. And I happened to look up the, the Irish whiskey Writer's Tears. It just so happened to be at, at a place called Walsh Whiskey Distillery. And ironically enough, that was almost perfectly halfway between Waterford and Dublin. So I took a little side trip. It was shortly off the highway, so it wasn't too far out of the way. I didn't look into it at all. I didn't look to see when distillery tours were happening. So I just walked into this this nice little distillery. There were two guys behind the bar in the little welcome area and i you know they asked if, how they could help me and i asked you know what do, do you guys offer distillery tours and he he gave off some times of of when they were going to be and they were several hours after i would have been there and i just kind of said do you want to do one right now <laughs> so i got a i got a personalized tour of walsh whiskey distilling and a personal tasting and so i just i just hung out with the the people that were working at the distillery for a while and and i think that was I went there basically on accident. It just so happened to be on my way back. And, and one of those accidental side trips turned into a one-on-one with, with the distillers there and, and talking about the story behind it all. And I think that was, that was one of the most memorable things. This was my, my first and only solo trip I've ever taken, especially abroad. And it, it turns out that when you're by yourself, people want to just hang out and chat with you. So it was, it was fascinating to, to get that one-on-one attention and just, just chat about this whole process and, and see see the operation in, in effect right there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and and Raiders Tears is definitely a, a really great tasting Irish whiskey. And I had gone there to to Ireland right after I had finished finalizing the manuscript for the Green Bay Brewing History Book. Mm-hmm. So I this Raiders Tears it hit really close to my heart. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it you know I would just was really blown away. We didn't we didn't go to um, get to a lot of distilleries. You know, with being on kind of an a uh, scheduled bus tour but did try you know a lot of a lot of irish whiskeys and and different um, irish beers while there but i was just blown away by just the the history of the country you know the the old castles that we were seeing i mentioned uh, you know bunratty the blarney castles they date back to the 15th century king john's castle is a 13th century castle just seeing places that are that old and historic is both overwhelming and awe-inspiring well, I think we've probably talked enough about our explorations around Ireland, but if people want to know more, I don't think we'd hesitate to oblige. And we actually have a um, quite a few listeners in Ireland, so maybe some of them want to uh, want to host us for you know a few days or a week or two. But we've talked a lot about Jameson in Ireland and, and visiting those distilleries in our excursions around the the island of Ireland. But let's bring things back a little bit more locally now to us. There's a bar located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Weirdly enough, it's called The Local. It serves the most Jameson outside of Ireland in the entire world. 
That's because their Jameson shots are in rocks glasses. And they fill them up. (laughs) That definitely helps. And Cameron, the local in Minneapolis, is where our beautiful friendship began. Oh, let's take a walk down memory lane, shall we? Uh, Oh, yeah. And, And ironically, over those giant Jameson shots. Somehow, always hanging out with you leads to Jameson. I, I'm not even going to apologize for that. They really should sponsor this podcast or at least bring you on as a You know, is, is that not better than always hanging out with me leading to Malort shots? Yes. Because we could, yes, we could flip-flop much. that. I, I will take Jameson all day <laughs> um, against Malort. Yes, definitely. So the local celebrates over two decades of, of welcoming loyal customers to their establishment and new customers as well who are looking to have a Jameson in in this wildly popular Jameson spot. So from the hand-carved bar to the nooks and crannies to while away the hours, the locals are, it's a really cool Irish pub. And if it's a pint of Guinness or Finnegan's you're looking for, they'll happily oblige. I bet they'd even pour you a pint of Jameson. (laughs) Yes, or a pint of Jameson. They got to maintain this honor somehow, don't they? I guess so. The local also maintains their mission of being one of the friendliest pubs in the world and striving to make every guest that comes through their doors just a wee bit happier. Or maybe a lot happier, depending on, on the poor depending of Depending on how much Jameson they've had. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so, so head to the local in Minneapolis and definitely uh, have some Jameson and definitely pour another round, another really big round for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cameron. I was going to wait until like our 10th or 20th episode to pull these out, but I feel like we're really on a kick here on the, the Jameson route, so I've got a surprise for you. Jonathan is getting up, and I'm very nervous right now. Hey, more Jameson. We talked in our first episode about the Jameson Cask Mates partnership with Jameson and a brewery in Ireland. I was not able to find the the beer. I have not been either. That was my goal when I set out for this task, to find the beer. But I did find the Jameson Stout Edition, which is whiskey finished in... in craft beer stout barrels and then the jameson ipa edition which is whiskey finished in those ipa craft beer barrels so that is uh that is the surprise here i feel like this is the episode to to pop these out and uh and and maybe sample some of them i think that sounds like a fantastic idea shall we pour another round let's do it let's pour another round which one you want to try first the ipa absolutely I just want this to go on record. At the beginning of this episode, you, you seem to be concerned about the Jameson consumption of me on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> you are an enabler. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've, been, I've been holding these for the right occasion, and this is the occasion. <laughs> I very much agree with that. Cheers. What do you think? I think it's pretty good. I, I, yeah. I think the, uh, the bitterness of, of the IPA, like the, the subtle hints of bitterness come out a little bit. In a, in a really good way. Yeah. So, um, you know, as mentioned, this this Caskmate series talked about the the collaboration in our first episode between Jameson and one of the breweries in Ireland. So this this Caskmate series is the result of a collaboration with 8D Brewing, and they borrow Jameson's casks to age the Irish Pale Ale, and then Jameson finishes their whiskey in these IPA seasoned oak barrels and the result is this this classic smoothness of jameson with those notes of hops and a light crisp finish crisp it is or uh do we dive right into the uh the the stout edition or or wait a bit how rowdy do you want this to get should (laughs) should we wait like a couple minutes maybe (laughs) yeah let's maybe chat a little bit more and then we'll we'll circle back 
So bringing things back even more locally to us um, here in Wisconsin, when you hear Wisconsin, you might not immediately think of the Irish, but Irish roots actually run quite deep here in Wisconsin. Milwaukee hosts a, a big celebration, Irish Fest in August, which takes place at the, the Summerfest grounds downtown Milwaukee, right on the, the lakefront. And this event, which showcases more than 100 entertainment acts across 17 stages, is traditionally held the third weekend in August along the shores of Lake Michigan. And actually, I lived not far up the road from the the Summerfest grounds when I when I lived downtown Milwaukee, and I lived right around the corner from an Irish hotel called the County Clare. Oh yeah. Every I don't know if it was every year, but regularly they would take a a trip of people that from from Milwaukee area that wanted to join them, and they would go over to Ireland and stay at some of their sister properties over there. So I hung out at the Irish pub right around the the corner from my house or my apartment very regularly. They, they didn't take you to Ireland though. They did not. Oh, man. Mostly because I had to pay for it, and I was <laughs> okay. fresh out of college. Were... <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And there's also a host of St. Patrick's Day parades and celebrations across the state of Wisconsin. While some of these events and festivals may not be happening right now due to uh, the, the illustrious COVID, we hope that they will be back soon. Cameron, did you know that Wisconsin's largest St. Patrick's Day parade takes place in a place home to only 7,000 people, New London, Wisconsin? Isn't that where Amy's from? It is. It sure is. My wife Amy grew up in New London, and for about a week in March each year, New London changes its name to New Dublin. That sounds like my kind of place. Yeah, exactly. And they like they literally changed the welcome signs, everything says New Dublin. And they have a massive parade that and, and Irish festival that kind of bookends that that week-long celebration. And you won't want to miss the mildly disturbing mock-up of an Irish funeral, Finnegan's Wake. What makes it so disturbing? So the, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's toward the end of the parade. Spoiler alert here, people. Yes, spoiler alert. (laughs) But it happens every year, so you'll see it if you attend the parade. There is a hearse in this parade, and all of a sudden a casket will fall out of the hearse into the street, (laughs) and all of these guys go running after it to pick up this this casket and, and chase the hearse back. So that's Finnegan's Wake. Why? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I guess so. Wisconsin is, of course, home to many Irish pubs as well to get your corned beef and cabbage and Irish ales. And did you know I make a very, very mean corned beef and cabbage? I did not. I've not had this before. Maybe maybe uh, I'll have to cook it for you. Yeah. Great. Let's, let's do that. So there's a House of Guinness in Waukesha, St. Brendan's Inn in Green Bay, and Aaron's Snug Irish Pub and Restaurant in Madison, to just name a few. And I also have to give a a little bit of a plug for this fantastic Irish bar that I hung out at in college all the time in West Dallas, Wisconsin. I'm actually donning the shirt right now. O'Connor's Perfect Pint. I have seen Mike O'Connor pour more perfect pints of Guinness. He can put any, like when you get a pint of Guinness, they'll put that, that clover in the, in the foam of the the Guinness. I've seen him put the Milwaukee Brewers logo. If you're a little bit snarky to him, I've seen him put a middle finger in the foam. (laughs) So it's definitely a, an art and it was, it was my local hangout in college. And Cameron, you are a certificate holder of pouring a perfect pint for Guinness. Yes. While I was in Ireland at the Guinness Brewery, uh, I was certified as a... I learned the, the trait of pouring a perfect pint of Guinness. Well, shall we pour a final round of this Jameson Caskmates Stout Edition? I think we shall. And this is also part of that collaboration with Jameson and 8D Brewing. 
and they so they you know do some cask swaps and barrel cask and, and barrel swaps and with this uh, we're supposed to get that smooth smoothness of jameson with notes of coffee chocolate and butterscotch if there's two things i love it's irish whiskey and coffee so i'm very excited about this stout edition yeah it uh you know we've tried different uh you know coffee stouts or um you know some different coffee beers but we've not uh not yet on pour another round poured some coffee whiskey maybe we'll have to get there sometime <laughs> there we go well here's here's to our uh, our final round and we hope you all enjoy your saint patrick's day we are enjoying this and we will definitely be enjoying much more uh jameson and guinness after we're done here so slancha to our final round here and slancha to all of you that one is is much smoother than the the ipa edition doesn't have that quite that bite to it it's the same base jameson and 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 this is just a really great example when you line them up next to each other just how different barrels and and some of the flavors that come out of that that wood goes and i think a really cool thing about irish whiskey they many distilleries over in ireland will age their their whiskey in american oak bourbon barrels based on the legality and regulations put on bourbon distilleries in the united states you can only use those one time to make bourbon and then they're done for bourbon irish whiskey does not have that same those same regulations put on that so they love getting bourbon barrels because they 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 have those bourbon notes in there and the fresh oakness it's not a one and done it's it's bringing in a whole bunch of different character and flavors and notes from already a, a historical barrel which is i think a really cool thing of kind of that reuse recycle upuse kind of thing and why not just keep that flavor and the fun going well, I think we've hit on a lot of areas of our discussion in celebration of St. Patrick's Day. Go enjoy your corned beef. Go enjoy your Irish whiskey, your Guinness. Uh, I would highly recommend. Side note, did you know that corned beef and cabbage is actually not like a traditional Irish? I could not have been more disappointed when I went over to Ireland. And all I wanted was corned beef and cabbage. And it was, it's not the same. Well, and they like back it, like it, it, it wasn't a traditional dish because it was too expensive. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like uh, I love orange chicken from Panda Express. So when I go to China, I shouldn't expect to get Panda Express over there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, I think, you know what? I know we were just about to close this out, but I'm going to go off on another little tangent here. A couple other things that I learned while I was over in Ireland. We in America enjoy black and tan, oh, yeah. which is half Guinness, half lager uh i think a lot of the the popular one is is a harp lager in there black and tan is highly offensive to the irish because it's like like watering down well yeah that for sure (laughs) but also historically uh during the the irish uprising there was some some fight for independence i guess in what the the american independence day basically the irish version of that during that whole conflict the black and tan referred to soldiers that were brought in they weren't trained. It was basically a shoot on sight kind of thing. So it, black and tan has a very violent connotation to it. And it's not a pleasant memory. And so we kind of uh, degrade that a little bit with, with our drink called the black and tan. Sure. Same thing with the Irish car bomb, which is a shot of Jameson with some Baileys. And you drop that in the Guinness and you pound it. Irish car bombs, during that whole conflict, cars were blowing up. So it's both of those things are very... Uh, as I was touring Guinness and touring Jameson, they, they talked about that and, you know, gave us a little bit of a heads up. If you go to the Irish, Irish pubs, please don't, don't order one of those. One of those. <laughs> it's definitely uh, not a, an Irish tradition, nor is it an Irish 
pride thing. Yeah, so I thought those were two very interesting little tidbits that I learned over there. Uh, I do very much love an Irish car bomb, though. Ugh. It's been a long time since I've had one of those. Probably college. No, no. Oh, were you not? Were you, you didn't drink those at the work conference two years ago? Oh, yes, I did. he did. He forgot he was even drinking them. Of course, I was with you. That was just one of those <laughs> nights that ended in Jameson and Guinness. <laughs> yeah, typical. Jeez. Yes, there's there's a lot of Irish drinking. Uh, when when you're around well, bring out that 11 percent of your irish and <laughs> hang <laughs> hang with us <laughs> sounds great yes well we you know we do hope everyone has a has a happy saint patrick's day and it's you know, been a strange year last year has been really weird and and celebrations and and festivals and whatnot have been you know un- unfortunately not happening as much so i walked out of my office for the last time march 16th of 2020 so here we are one year later and let's let's celebrate something now yeah, exactly. We've we've made it through a year. <laughs> but, well, cheers to our listeners. Don't forget to pour another round for us, too, if you're celebrating. And we will talk to you soon. Slancha. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pour Another Round. Be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Pour Another Round. We'll be sharing news and information from breweries that are friends of the show, you can find out what we're drinking and hear about upcoming featured breweries. Until next time, be sure to pour yourself another round. Another round.